All right. Are All you ready? This is Dale Jr. And you're listening to Dirty Mo Radio. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. And you are listening to the first Dale Jr. download of 2018. And this year's a little different. We have a new co-host. Mike Davis is back. What's up? Was that a new Dangerous Summer song that we just no, listened to? No, that's not a new Dangerous Summer, but you will hear some Dangerous <laughs> Summer in the show. They have a new record out, so you'll hear some of that as we go further into the show. So what are we going to talk about today, Mike? Well, listen, I mean, you just got back from Minnesota. You look like you've thawed out. You look cold on the TV. Yes. Uh, I got a lot of questions. You and I have not talked about your time as an NBC broadcaster, so I'm eager to ask you questions about that. I want to hear all about the Super Bowl. I want to hear about people you met. I think we got to talk about the offseason. There seems to be a lot of grumpiness, a lot of crabby drivers. You're not one of them anymore, so I'm sure you've got something to say about that. I'm going to hit you with all of it because we got a whole offseason to catch up on. New show, new co-host, new producer. Matthew Dillner. That's all next on the Dale Jr. Download. Dale Jr., seriously, the experience of being a broadcaster. Uh, you know, thank you, NBC, for not even sending you to an orientation. You basically got thrown into the deep end, my friend. What was it like? Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. We had uh, really no idea what we were going to get ourselves into at uh, the Super Bowl. Still, even today, no clue what's going to happen in uh, South Korea for the Olympics. People were asking me, hey, you know, what are you going to be doing? I really don't know. I think when I get out there, they'll have a good idea where maybe I'll fit and, and, and work me into some pieces. But we showed up basically going completely blind on Thursday right into creating a skit that we all saw, the produced skit of me and Rutledge Wood, who is an incredible, uh, incredibly nice guy, really talented. Uh, we got to uh, know each other quite well through this whole weekend. And um, so I'm excited about working with him in the future. But I had no idea when I got there what we were doing. So the first whole day we spent making that little skit, doing all those activities. And honestly, when it started out, we were out on that lake um, at 7 o'clock in the morning ice fishing. And it was freaking way cold. It was 8 degrees, something like that. Wind blowing across that lake. Um, nothing really blocking that, you know, that wind. So it just, your face was, in, your face hurt so bad. because It looked it. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's the half the people there are like, oh, man, you know, that's nothing. It gets way colder. You guys aren't, you know, seeing none of the none of the hard stuff. And then half the people are like, yeah, this is not good. We, this is very, <laughs> this is not normal. So we weren't, you know, we didn't feel too bad for, for being very chilly. Um because right, it was pretty cold. But one of the funny things was we drove out onto this ice in cars, right? You know, big suburbans and so forth. The ice is frozen two feet thick. At least that was what we were told. Uh, but we, all these cars, there were probably eight or ten cars kind of converged on this one area where we were going to drill this hole, and me and Rut were going to film this little skit. And I'm thinking, is it safe for all right. these cars to be sort of parallel parked in this one confined space? Right. And I'm trying to talk to our driver, uh that we had all weekend. I'm like, can you kind of pull maybe like 50 or 100 yards over to the left <laughs> in case this thing starts to crack? But the ice held. It's incredibly thick. Ice fishing, I, I feel comfortable saying, was not fun. We didn't catch anything. Um, we weren't in a hut. All, anyone that goes out there for the most part gets in a tent. There's heaters, um, usually beer. Uh, we saw some people that had the shacks. We saw trucks. Guys have these like miniature, um, it's like a UPS style van or truck, and they're on airbags and they'll drive them out and then they'll deflate the airbags and it sits down and seals off into the you know, onto the ice and and they sit in the truck with TV and radio and whatever and ice fish, and that sounds a lot of like a lot of fun. I'd do sure. that all the time if I was you know living up in Minnesota. But sitting out there on your on a barrel on a on a five gallon uh, bucket was not fun, and so we did that for about forty five minutes. We got out of there, uh, 
rode the um, snowmobiles. That was pretty good. Still, though, it was about 10 degrees, so 80 mile an hour in a snowmobile, snowmobile at 10 degrees is very cold. Uh, but we, you know, it's fun to be moving and doing something fast. The uh, then we went and did the um, broom ball. Now I talked about the broom ball being my favorite, and it really was. We were behind this kind of bar restaurant, so at any moment, if you wanted to stop playing broom ball and walk in and get a beer and warm up, that was there. So being able to play broom ball, the, the the hockey rink is like a half size or maybe even smaller, maybe a quarter size of a real hockey rink, and it's handmade with plywood and it's on the it's on the lake, so it's on you know it's on this th- two foot frozen ice. The fact that it's not perfect makes it fun, and it's a community activity. People were coming from down the street with their broom ball sticks, and and uh, husbands and wives were literally out there playing against each other. And they have leagues like uh, it really reminded me of like our our company softball league. And so everybody's out there playing, laughing. Nobody's a pro, and the ice sort of levels the playing field a little bit against the guys and girls. So uh, you're wearing these big shoes, so you can't you can run, but you're risking busting your butt. Yeah. So everybody kind of shuffles around, and you just try to find a gap in the defense, and they'll try to pass the ball to you, and it's so much fun. And yeah. trying to trying to swing and hit this little volleyball with this stick and get it to go the right way, it's really difficult. But um, I could see a dirty mo broom yes, ball league. I, I mean, I totally could. They have a broom ball league down at Charlotte Checkers Arena. And they play. They have a. I just saw on their Instagram they have a, a season coming. Oh, because you've been googling this. I do. Well, they they tagged me in their post, so I got to see that. But <laughs> I'm uh, which which makes me excited because I thought the next time I'd play broomball would be the next trip to Minnesota or up north. But apparently, if I want to play it, I can. There's pickup games. Who knew? Down at this uh, arena. So that was really really fun, and. Uh, I think the scajoring was equally uh, as fun as the broom ball, but it's a little more singular or, or uh, something you do by yourself. You're with the dogs, which was great. The dogs were super nice. The dogs were affectionate. You know, you think a dog like that that's sort of trained and, and, and has the mentality to pull someone up a hill is not going to be a dog that's going to lean up against you and want to be pet. But um, they were great dogs, so working with them, made, that, that made working with them a lot of fun. How do you stop yourself, though? Whoa. I mean, you're really you say whoa. Th- so they're that mm. trained. Yeah, you, you say you, as you saw me coming by in the skid. I'm hike, 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 hike. I mean, you have to continue <laughs> to say hike. That's go, and you have to continue to say it, or they'll they'll wonder why you're not saying it, and they'll look around and go, what What are we are we are we done? Uh, but I would have to think somewhere in scajoring history there is that one dog that didn't go whoa. Oh, I'm sure there's. <laughs> I'm sure there's it's possible but I mean as you start to sort of scissor your skis and pull put a little pressure and you can pull that rope that's they're going to turn and go what's going on why are you are you heavy fallen you know the dogs well every time we fail which I fail a ton they didn't show that Oh, they only showed rut falling. Right. Where, where did we get that footage? I fell a lot. I was the first one to fall. Really I don't even think we were moving and I'd fallen. But were you self-conscious about that or did you not really care at that point? I mean, did you want to be the first one to fall? I mean, you got Rutledge out there. He don't look like of course the, you the don't. Nobody athlete. wants to fall at all. Rutledge looks like he could be, you know, a good candidate to fall. Yeah, he did. He fell just. He probably fell as much as me. But I eventually, having learned to ski just this New Year's, right. I had I had this uh, competitive juice flowing, and I was like, man, I'm going to figure this out, you know. And I went and went until I figured it out. I think Rut was more like, let's just capture the footage we need and <laughs> let's get out of here. Right. But you have to put on these special shoes and get into the ski. There's a little effort there, and you're like, I'm just going to head and figure this out and do it before I have to, because I put all this effort into getting ready for it and getting this, this harness on and tied to this dog. And There was a funny shot in that skit, though. I mean, like, I audibly laughed out loud, and it was where Rutledge, I think, was falling, and then you just come back by. Come, in, yeah, you just kind of go in shot, out shot. Yeah. Uh, just dogs, just the funny thing digging. Yeah, the funny thing about that is that we didn't set up, we never staged any of those shots. Like, okay, we're gonna have Rut falling, Dale's gonna come by. We never did it like that. We the the scajoring course for me was about 500 yards long, and I would just go from one end to the other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we just happened to capture the. That's just actually how it happened. Sure. Okay. It would appear as we may have staged, you know, the, okay, let's get Dale coming by. I almost hit him. Or, you know, we got to put Rutt fall in here. And, uh, but no, that's really how it played out. 
the schedule we played a lot we played a lot of broom ball that didn't get shown we had so much fun doing it that we didn't really want to quit playing and go to the next thing but so there was a lot of broom ball that didn't get uh, didn't didn't make the show but so that was just Thursday we were out all day long hours uh doing that Friday and Saturday were rehearsal were, were rehearsals which I didn't know were as thorough as they are so for the this is the biggest sporting event and TV event in in the year right and uh there's a five-hour pregame show which you wouldn't even think about it as a fan watching at home you wouldn't even add up the time and go man that's a lot of you know it's five hours you just go okay the pregame show go on and watch it and you stand around with your friends and you joke and you're in the you know you're in the kitchen one minute and you're in the living room next you don't even think about how long these guys are actually on the tv doing this pregame show and they rehearsed the pregame show on saturday from start to finish in real time, the whole show. That's five hours. So when Dan, so we started at nine o'clock in the morning, and Dan Patrick and those guys were still going at four p.m. Wow. on rehearsals. And um, I was just so so impressed with that work and the effort they put into it. What it takes for Dan Patrick and those guys to to sort of be turned on, and they got to be turned on all week. There, so much preparation for those guys. Uh, and they, you know, they sort of hone their segments. There's so much there. It's just there's so many moving parts. I was in the production meetings for the first time. I walked out of the production production meeting ready to ready to tackle somebody. You know, yeah. I felt like I never. You know, I'm thinking, man, production meetings probably pretty busy, uh, but but at the same time boring. Uh, we go in there, we sit down, we're watching. Uh, we're, I'm, you know, they go over the whole show, uh, one piece after the other. And uh, Sam Flood, our boss, is sort of telling everybody, all right, this is what I expect here. This is what I expect there. And by the end of this whole meeting, you're like, I'm just, let's, this is going to kill. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to dominate this, you know. And I would have never imagined the, feeling so that way. The production meeting in itself has how many people in it? There's probably about 40 people in the room. So we're we talking about like all the on-camera people that were in that pregame show, which yeah. there's a lot of people. Tony like Dungy and, and Dungy. John Harbaugh, um, you know. Dan was in there, Rutledge, me, and then you have all the producers, and it was just uh, Sam sort of orchestrating the whole thing, and that's that's who you hear in your ear all day long. He's sort of in everyone's ear saying, all right, this is next, get ready. You know, it's, just, it's really hard to explain, but it's a very, very impressive thing to be a part of. So that was basically, you know, Friday and Saturday were rehearsals. We went to Dan Patrick's radio show just to watch because me and Rutledge okay. are huge fans of his. And he, to me, he's like the Yoda of right. broadcasting. He He's the best interviewer that I've ever met. And so I want, you know, any opportunity to sit and watch him is, is good for me and, and a lot of fun. Got to watch him and Al Michaels talk, I mean, which was really amazing. I didn't, he drug me on the show for a few seconds, which was cool. I didn't. Didn't ask for that. Didn't uh, didn't expect that. He's sponsored by Traeger Grills, which they had. So they had some smoked barbecue with uh, ribs there, which was awesome. So that made me want to be on the show every day. But <laughs> he, you know what else about him? He's so kind. Yeah. He's like like you know, and I I don't use that loosely because I'm just saying the dealings I've had with Dan Patrick. Look, I'm I'm not somebody he needs to just go be overly kind to, right? Like he didn't have to do that, but he is a generally like nice person who cares about people around him, and he cares about you. I know this because I was talking to him. We were trying to get him for the appreciation event in Las Vegas. I don't know if I've even told you that. No. And um, and he told me to call him, called his home phone, right? I mean, Dan Patrick. And so Dan and I had these conversations about him trying to make it out to Las Vegas to be a part of this event. And I just, I'm blown away about how, just how much of a people person he is. Yeah, yeah I was talking to Sam Flood about, how nice everybody has been and how just these are really good people and he told me he's like we don't we, that's what we hire we, we we have good people we have winners and that's uh that's really comforting for me because um i'm i'm a fish out of water particularly at the super bowl and the olympics it's going to be a intimidating uh situation uh going into this for my for my first few jobs but uh everybody from dan on down to uh I'm, I we I got you know it's funny I got a chance so when I go to a major sporting events or anywhere for that matter you you don't want to be in the way right you kind of stand where you feel the most comfortable wherever that is and 
being a employee for NBC, uh, once I learned where the NBC offices were in the stadium and where the big truck compound was, I felt that was my comfort zone, you know, and I could go in there and I'm standing there looking at Dan Patrick and all those guys prepare and get ready and there's Sam Flood's office and I felt um, it was just so surreal to be in that area, you know. People don't even know this exists in the in the stadium. Uh, it's basically the same truck compound we have at the NASCAR races, and uh, it's a really impressive uh, circus that sort of travels from track to track. I was really I was intimidated, but as I got to know the family and the NBC folks and everybody involved, I got more and more comfortable and felt like, man, these are this is everybody here just wants to succeed and everybody's supportive. Uh, Tony Dun- Dungy, incredible nice guy. I got a chance to sit and talk to John Harbaugh just uh, in the green room. They're, they had this little green room beside that hill we were on doing most of our, our uh, spots. And so I spent quite a bit of time in this green room just sitting, waiting on our opportunity to go on TV with John. And what a approachable, conversational. He is uh, really down to earth. But it was uh, – so anyways, you know, we got through rehearsals and then it came – Sunday and it was time to do the real thing. By that point, I had been prepared and and put in a position to succeed. Oh, that's cool because I was going to ask you how nervous were you? Yeah, I, I mean, was. You, you you made an entrance. They gave you with this. I don't know what it, what was that. We call it snowcat. There was another name for it. I forget what it was, but it was very uh, complex. But um, me and Rut decided just to go with snowcat. That was very simple and easy to remember. Uh, you and Rut defining things yes. on the way you want them. It was really liter- literally this thing was only about. <laughs> 25, 30 feet down this hill, and I just had to turn the brake off, mash the gas, and go. And um, Rut jumps off, and he introduced me, and I pop out. And, and I've talked to Dan so many times, and D- Dan has made me feel so uncomfortable with him on his radio show. And what the funny thing about Dan is that when you get done do- answering questions to him on his radio show, uh, he says, all right, thank you, Dale, for coming on, whatever. The next thing he does is compliment you. He'll go, Dale Jr., so good to have him on. This is why I like having him on. And I always hang on to the phone to hear that, you know, because it's like, yeah, you know, it's so great to hear that from Dan. But So I I know how Dan feels about me, and I know how I feel about him, and so talking to him was easy. And we've done that so many times on his radio show uh, that I wasn't nervous at all in that moment. And they're so – In the snow cap, you were not nervous. Not at all. I was more like when it was game time. Yeah, when you know you're going to be live. On I was the pre-game ju- I was Super Bowl. You were not nervous at all. I was nervous. I was more. <laughs> I was. You know what I was? I was more like jumping up and down. Like let's get the game started. Oh my God! I was nervous for you. I'm like God. If no. he if he falls if he slips on oh, ice, no. this is the YouTube. Uh, video of the day, and I, I'm like, not even that. I'm gonna have to tweet it because that's something I would tweet. I mean, like, I was nervous for you. I was nervous the f- in the rehearsals doing it the first time, but damn, okay. by the third or fourth time, you jump out of that thing, and you stop at the first couple times that you jump off and you start talking to Dan. The first couple times, you're tr- you're really bo- you're really. Uh, and I I'm not saying that I was great Sunday. I got a lot. Of, I wanted to get better, and I know I can. You didn't go viral in a bad way. Right. That's a success for me. The first few times you jump off there and start talking to Dan, you're real b- robotic. And the great thing about being able to rehearse is you kind of can shake some of that out. And by Sunday, everybody was, the whole team, the team NBC, I mean, Sam, Sam's in your ear going, all right, guys, we're going to kick some ass. Let's make some, let's make some TV magic, guys. This is it. Wow. You know, he's in your ear like pumping you up. He's tarting you. Yeah. Gotcha. He's doing that the whole day. He's doing that in the production meeting. I mean, wow, he's cool. he's got a real great. I mean, he's serious and he he's um, a no nonsense kind of guy, but he's also he he's supportive, you know, and holds he holds everybody up and prepares them uh, for the for the takeoff, you know. Uh, so it was really you're sitting in, you're sitting there like, you know, heck yeah, here we go, you know, this is for real, you know. That's the it is so exciting. That's the way the booth felt when I got in the booth in 2016. I okay. got in there, and you're like, yeah, we're finally going to get to do this, you know, talk some racing. And, and when, it's, when it's over, you're like, I don't want to leave. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to have to go. I want to stay in here. Look, you're having – listen, if you leave this experience and you're like, I 
did not feel like it was work, it was having fun, yeah. then we've made the right decisions in, in life. I <laughs> yeah, mean, am yeah, I wrong? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because like, I didn't know what you would come back with. I hadn't well, talked to you. you. You texted me when you were done, and you're like, how did that look? And I'm just like, I, I was still trying to uh, kind of like process everything because you had done two live spots and that Thursday segment that you guys had taped. I didn't even expect that much oh, TV really? time. No, I didn't yeah. expect that much. Once I got, I mean, it was fun. Once I got done, though, I still, I got this craving to get this, get into the racing. You know, there's doing that. The fish out of water is kind of what we we keep calling it. Uh, I'm going to do that at the Olympics. It's it's exciting. It's a it's a thrill. It's kind of like the dessert to the real thing. The, I mean, the dinner. The dinner's going to be the cup season, and and but I'm kind of like eating my dessert. First, <laughs> um, nothing wrong with that. I right. know, but Could I cannot. It, uh, as fun as this weekend was, as exciting and 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 I feel if I never, if I ever, ever, never get a chance to do the Super Bowl again, what a what a great experience! That's that your first. That's my first Super Listen, Bowl. Hey, we've had more opportunities to go to Super. Bowl. I mean, we've had opportunities probably to go to every Super Bowl yeah. if I really think on it. And Dale Jr. has never been interested really? in going. He would come up with some of the lamest excuses. Why, because the skins weren't in it? Uh, no, no. It, it, Racing. Like, no, he, he, I promise you he never planned on that. Even <laughs> though we're not in the race season. All right, it's, this is hard to explain, and this is totally off topic, but uh, until I – like when I drove cars for a living, I didn't want to do nothing else. Even in the middle of the off season, I'm like, I ain't going nowhere. I ain't got but a couple days to, yeah. to, to be in the off season. I ain't going to waste it at the Super Bowl. I'm, the skins ain't there, you know. It, it wouldn't. If the skins were there, maybe I'd go. Probably I'd go. When you're a race car driver, man, it can make you a grumpy, miserable person. And you care. You're this competitive, grumpy uh, soul year round. And as soon as I was out of the car in 2016 and had this long break, and I got free of that in my, you know, that thing, whatever that was, I got out from under that shadow. Man, was it nice. If I was asked to be in the be in the lot be in the pregame for the Super Bowl two, five, ten, fifteen years ago, I would have done anything possible to get to out get of out of it. it. <laughs> no doubt possible. about it. Get out of the race cars and retire from race car driving. Get asked to do that. Hell yes. Put me in, coach. Put me in. But hold this on. Sounds great. But, but like I don't. You know. I what am I doing? I don't. They don't know. Okay. I don't care. Let's just go. But and, you and I went to a driver development seminar and we implored those young guys. In, and our motivation came from a meeting the week before where we found out there were some drivers that had been invited to go to the Super Bowl because NBC is trying to help promote NASCAR. I mean, they don't even have their races until the second half of the season, yet they're promoting the Daytona 500, yeah. trying to get people. And there were drivers that turned that down. And you actually got mad about that, did you not? Well, see, because I did get mad about it because of the way I feel today. I was, I was that guy when I started my career and through most of my career. I would turn it down. I don't, you know, it wasn't important to me to be famous or, or it wasn't important to me to, to, to help grow the sport. Or I didn't look at those things as opportunities to grow the sport. I didn't look at those things as opportunities to grow my fan base. I just looked at them as a pain in the butt. Didn't want to do it. And as, as I got toward the last two to four years of my career, I started to realize, man, all those things. As I start to wind my career down and reflect on my career, I think, man, yeah, I'd that did really, you know, that Rolling Stone article did really bring in new, you know, a bunch of new fans in the sport. That did introduce me to a ton of people that didn't know NASCAR that still follow me today. And I'm like, okay, that is important. That is, that's what these, okay, we got this great crop of new guys coming in. They need to be doing these things. Oh, yeah, learn and from mistakes. I mean, we've made I'm that. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, Dale Jr. was in Super Bowl commercials for the first eight or nine years yep. of his career. I mean, with Budweiser, Budweiser, he was in them every year. Feels like me is only in there about two or three times. Yeah, that's not right, though. No, no. no it was. It, it I remember was the designated driver spot with Ed Helms. Yeah. Did you know that Ed Helms was in that spot with no. me? Ed Helms is the designated driver. Or no, he's the guy I'm taking home. He's the drunk. <laughs> Ed Helms was. Yeah, you're the race. So guy. I'm. Yeah. So this was like not 2001, yeah. 2002. Yeah. Ed Helms was a stand-up comic, and uh, me and him sat on the tr in this car on a trailer for about six hours in the middle of the night in L.A. filming this commercial for the uh, Budweiser designated driver commercial. I'm driving Ed Helms home.
And I asked him about his what he was what he was doing. He's like, I'm a stand up comic trying to make it. Yeah, he was a no name. He was a no name, yeah. right? I mean, um, but look, anyways, I, I got to ask you one more thing about the Super Bowl. We're name dropping just a little bit. Well, I mean, might as well. <laughs> it, it, it's uh, okay when we're name dropping the non famous version. Well, look, <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's name drop a uh, Truex. Philly fan. I was glad that Truex was not on some light pole yesterday. Did he survive? Uh, I, I guess. I, I mean, asked like, him if he got into <laughs> anything last night. He said just a little bit, but he's on his way Which somewhere. means he got into a lot. Did he, oh, did he stay there? Yeah, he spent the night. Good. All right, well, now I'm really glad that I didn't see him on there because I saw some pictures. I mean, did you look at all the Philly fans <laughs> last yes. night? I mean, my Is it God. true that um, – a Philly fan ate some horse shit. You want to see it? Literally ate I don't. Crap. Of course I of course don't. No, you don't want to watch that. Of course you don't. No, you don't. But I'm telling you. <laughs> but I've, you do wink. I've got. No, no. <laughs> that makes me <laughs> no. so <laughs> nauseous. It is horrible. It's Philadelphia, man. Let, let, let's just be honest. I saw him turn. You don't surprise me. Yeah, I saw him turn. I saw fires. And, and yeah. sometimes I was watching this one video, and you're like, man, it's this staged footage from some no. apocalyptic. <laughs> they uh, were planning. <laughs> I was listening to the Philadelphia police scanner. Yeah, and they were like, "Here they come!" What do you do? What do you do? If to, I win, wh- where do you go to listen to the Philadelphia police scanner? They're like, <laughs> "Dude, it's it's everywhere." Uh, Are you in a bunker? Online? You don't ever I know. listen to the? There's apps. You do don't you listen op- to that? Well, I got I got the Iredale County. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, police scanner. Yeah, I'm sure that's interesting. Uh, on a there's Friday a lot night, more going, Iredale County. Well, there's a lot more going on than you know about. Oh come on! You need to follow their Twitter handle. There's there's fires and accidents and all kinds of things wow, happening that every sounds, day. Sounds exciting! I know. <laughs> why? Why would you like? <laughs> I, I just don't we, understand. Why it. are we debating? I, you, de- you win a you win a race, okay, and you celebrate, right? You win a football game. I'm a fan of all sports. Why do you burn your town down? Why are you like flipping over cars yeah. and stuff? I never get it. I don't get it. I don't get it either. They don't apologize for it. No, no. they don't. And, and, listen, and it's Philadelphia, the, man, yeah. they throw batteries at like players. You know. Yeah. There was just naked people running up in the streets, and nobody <laughs> and nobody even thought anything of it. They thought, well, yeah. this was normal. We it's normal to Philadelphia. Bowl. Yeah. There, did you see the, the video? Like, there's 20 or 30 people on an, like, on an awning. And it collapsed. And it just collapsed. collapsed. <laughs> well, that's probably one. Uh, you know, awnings. Right. Awnings you know. weren't designed for 20 people. Yeah. Oh, well. Look, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad Truex is happy today. Um, he wasn't on an awning. We're good. The, the, we, don't don't think. we know. We don't think. He he may still be out you there. You check his breath when you see him. All right. He's uh, not. He's <laughs> on his. He's out. He's safe. He's out of Minnesota. Make you sure he didn't. He eat checked anything. on. Yes. Yeah. I checked on him. Blaney, uh, who was working with us during the pregame, had the flu. I heard he had the plague. He did. He had the flu and still got up on that hill and eight ten eight ten degrees temperatures and and won the tube race. <laughs> it's impressive. Uh, we rode home on the. He he flew home with us, so we all. Uh oh. We all bought those surgical masks and uh. <laughs> wore those all the way home. I knew when the pilots wanted to wear them that I was gonna wear it. Yeah. I was like, all right. I feel kind of stupid. Oh, okay. The pilots are putting them on. I'm wearing mine. And uh, we got him. We got old Blaney home. I checked on him today. He says he's feeling a little bit better today. But appreciate him being a trooper. All right. Let's ask you about this. You mentioned that drivers tend to get uh, crabby. Yeah, the off season. Just your steady, now. steady crabby. I know drivers it's are not steady crabby. What, except the young guys. What, what, what is it? What do you mean? What do you mean steady crabby? You're just all. There's just funk in you, that that you're like. <laughs> you're just this like moody. Anything can just like you're. You know you're okay most of the time, but anything could just put you in the worst mood. Young drivers aren't affected. You know they're coming in. They're happy. They're thrilled to be around. They're loving it. They're just seeing everything for the first time. Uh, but after a couple years of, uh, you know, satellite media tours and all those things, you know, you just get you get spoiled. Sure you do. Yeah. yeah. All right. So when you saw, I know this is old news, but when you saw what Kyle Busch said about the way NASCAR's marketing the yeah. young drivers, did you laugh, of chuckle? Course. I laughed. Did you get more satisfaction that you're not at media day? Okay. Let me tell you. All right. So the first thing I thought of was, Glad, I'm glad I'm not at media day because I know Kyle is pissed off. It's early in the morning. He just got to media day. This is the like the first, probably one in the, one of the first five questions he got that morning. And he's like, you know, what Kyle's thinking. At least this is me. What I would be thinking in that situation is, this day's not going to be any fun. I don't want to be here. Um, and I'm all, I'm in a bad mood. It's early. If he would have been asked that question at four o'clock in the afternoon on his way out, he'd have given a totally different answer. No, because he would have yep. been in a better mood. I hear you. He'd been like, "Oh yeah, I love it. See you later. I'm headed home." 
Love oh, new wow. guy. Love the young guy. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> love these young more guys. More of that. Yep. More of that marketing, those young guys. Yeah, I love these young guys. They're great. I'm going home. See you guys later. <laughs> but he had just got there. He's pissy. Everybody's sort of that way. Except for the young guys. They're they're thrilled. Media day. This is my first media day. I'm so happy. Um, but <laughs> as the day went on and we saw more comments from other drivers, uh, we saw what the, what the whole story is. So Kyle thinks that um, Kyle feels like, you know, well, I wasn't I wasn't marketed that way when I was young. He's right. He feels like that he wasn't marketed that way, and uh, they should focus, you know, obviously they should focus more on the veterans that have won. The truth, the NASCAR comes back and says, well, that's true. You weren't marketed that way because back when he came into the sport, the, the sponsors put a lot more money behind the marketing of their drivers. A great example, obviously, would be my career with Budweiser. Uh, countdown to E-Day. You know, was everybody knew what the hell was going on. Budweiser had a massive push there. Uh, NASCAR is shouldered with that responsibility now to do that marketing for themselves and for the sport and for the drivers. And so now they are marketing not only the veterans but a lot of the young guys. And that irked Kyle. And so Kyle said, you know, I don't, I don't like it and uh, think they should market some of the winners, some of the champions, some of the established guys. Blaney comes in and I think a couple other guys – said, well, we're the ones mar getting marketed because we're the ones that are saying yes. And that is also true. It is. So if NASCAR says, I need a guy that will go to New York tomorrow and do eight hours of media, who are they going to call? They're gonna call text, the are they yes. going to text Kyle Busch first? Because they probably know he's going to say no. Hell no. Well, I mean, you don't want to go through the four layers of insulation. That and too. You're probably not. Yeah, they're not going to text Kyle. They're going to have to text who? Yeah, uh, you know, whoever, yeah, whoever's Janet's. Janet's or, you know, I'm just saying probably like, have to get somebody with, you know, the, the sponsor involved yeah. because now they're going to want him branded. Yep. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, my goodness. Well, Blaney is a great and we'll just use Blaney's example because he's the easiest example to use. They they got a direct line to Ryan and they, they can call Ryan and and he's going to probably say yes, unless there's something in his way. There's not a lot of that in the sport. Anymore. All right. So then the next time. I need a guy to go to L.A. tomorrow or next week, short notice. I'll just call Ryan. You know, he know he's always been good to do it. And so that's kind of how that uh, habit forms. Uh, the young guys are always open to it. They know that they need to try to get a little traction, get a little piece of the pie, get a little, get their roots dug into the sport. And that's why they're so willing to do it now. And a lot of them don't know too that they can say no. Or, you know, don't they don't maybe not can say no. A lot of the young guys don't feel like they can say no. William Byron doesn't feel like he can say no. William Byron's gonna say, Man, I gotta do this. I'm supposed to do this. I you know, I I I don't know I can't tell O'Donnell no. Kyle Bush or myself, we could we feel like that we could do you know, we could probably do without it and get by. Yeah. You know, not have any repercussion for not doing it. I was just like I I didn't want to do any of that stuff up until the last couple of years of my career. I didn't want to go to New York. I, didn't, I hated going to L.A. <laughs> avoided L.A. Avoided New York. You didn't like going to New York. No. Yeah. yeah. Hated it. Well, okay, so you had Kyle Busch saying that. You had Newman, who basically got into talking down on basically everything that you would – it felt like midseason form for sure. Newman, and we haven't even started yet. O'Donnell <laughs> gets in, takes it personal. Yep. Harvick had something to say about Kyle Busch, and I'm like, we haven't even started the season and yet. Then, and then Kurt, Kurt tried to stick up for Kyle, Kurt and kind tried of explain his his, and his situation. So, doing so, I think dug a double down on the Kurt Busch, the the Bush brothers' and, uh, well, media and, blitz. And doing so, called Chase Elliott overrated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I don't know if Chase Elliott probably doesn't even know. I mean, but you know, I'm like, wow, this is so fun. Is this how it is? All right, when so you're not driving, the whirlpool when you got were asking, stirred. When you were asking me whether I was glad I wasn't at Media Day, <laughs> now you are. All day long, while all that stuff's going on, I'm thinking, <laughs> God, man, I'm glad I'm not in the middle of this because everything. Any any time you ever go to Media Day or do a press conference or any kind of media at the racetrack, the only thought in your head is, let's not try to make a mess here. Let's not try to do anything that's going to cause any sh any. Sh then you get caught up in other people's mess because they're going to ask you about it. Well, during all this talking, uh, Jennifer Fryer brought up, um, you know how hard it is to find some of the drivers at the racetrack and be able to even get to get get to them. And she she remembered back when we used to have the top twelve drivers in the points doing media every weekend behind their haulers. 
when we did that, the shit was always stirred every week because one driver would say something about another driver, and they could literally go five minutes down to the oh, next yeah. hauler and say, hey, this guy said something about you, man. What you think about that? That's right. And, boy, it just went on and on and on. Good, I, good and bad, though. I love, I'd love it now. It's awesome. Hated it when I was in the middle exactly. of it. Loved it now. Complained about it when I was in the middle of it. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, I, seeing this, seeing the sport from this lens, from the media side, and 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 understanding how that stuff sort of affects the the, the ebb and flow of popularity and uh, people watching and tuning in. Uh, the more of that, the better. Oh, so you feel good? Like I like, feel good with it. Now. On the uh, listen, <laughs> no, no, real. He's uh, like, not my problem. On the outside <laughs> looking in, how do you feel about where our sport is? Based off of the personalities that you've got in there, I love the mix it. of old and young drivers. I was talking to O'Donnell the other day, and I was like, um, "I was like, man, I'm so I've never been more excited about a season than I am this year." That stuff during me today, even though it was kind of, um, even though it might have left a little bad taste in a few people's mouths and some of the drivers, you know, whatever. I thought it was great. Any kind of kind of any kind of conversation where you can get all the drivers weighing in, boy, that is awesome. <laughs> and when they're when they're not when you know when it's one driver saying something and and everyone else is quiet that's when it's not really a lot of fun i am so excited about this season we got we do have some incredibly talented veterans in our sport still wheeling it still you know still getting it done in great equipment we got so many young guys coming in this is like a there's going to be a clash man this whole season is going to be a mix of old and new and We've seen a little, you know, we've seen Larson and Chase and a lot, some new guys come in over the last couple of years, but I think that there's, uh, it's a real 50-50 split in my mind. Uh, everybody's curious about uh, what Byron's going to be capable of. Can he sustain this steady climb? He's won year after year in every level. Will he continue that? How is Alex Bowman going to do in the 88? Yeah, that's a wild card. How is... I mean, even the curiosity behind how's Casey Kane in the 95 going to do? They got T-Mac as the crew chief. I mean, that's that team has made some major changes to try to improve. Can Are they the next uh, Furniture Row? You don't know. I mean, this is uh, – what can Furniture Row even do more than they did? Losing I mean, they a were, team, too. Yeah. They were dominant. Can they even become more dominant? Will they, uh, will they continue that success? How will the relationship – you know – how will their relationship continue going forward with Gibbs as right. dominant as they are? Right. Will that will that stay in harmony? Yeah, this isn't what Gibbs signed up for when they right. did the partnership. And then you, get, you get you got that Jones boy. Yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> that and, you Jones know, boy. You know, <laughs> Logano goes to Cup and and is in the twenty. I know Jones got a year of experience yep. in, in the seventy seven, but that's a, that's a wild card too because you don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. There's a team that's been there's together just, for so long. There's just so much information and so much to to, to learn this year. So much new. Um, I, I really haven't been excited about racing uh, like this in a long time. So I think that this year is going to be great. I think that we're going to find out that the fans are going to tune in, and uh, we're going to see some growth in our in our um, viewership and the attendance at the racetrack. It might do, you know, we might not notice it immediately overnight, but I think as this season goes, uh, with the stars and the the personalities that we have in the sport. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Everybody, you know, we got Jimmy Johnson, kind of the Tom Brady of NASCAR. What has he got left in the tank? Uh, signed up for another three years. Can he get one more? There's so many great stories. Well, I tell you what, you ready to answer some fan questions? You know, last year when uh, Tyler Overstreet was here, I would come in and ask some Ask Junior questions from time to time. But now we got the man, Matthew Dillner, producing our show. <laughs> I don't know about and, the man. And, and so I paid I, him 20 bucks to say that. I Tyler's not listening. I mean, listen. <laughs> Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> I want you to give us the best. This is your first run of Ask Junior. It's I mean, a very big deal Is that deal pressure because it's after this Tyler? Is, this is, is why we hired you. <laughs> This is why we hired you for it's this. It's your time to shine. All right, man. Well, Did uh, you get any good questions? Well, we, of course we got some good questions. Anytime you put Ask Junior hashtag up there and try to get the fans involved, they always get involved. Some questions or whatever, but there's always some gems out of there, and uh, we'll hit them real quick here. We got about five of them for you. Dylan wanted to know, uh, what did you do with your Daytona 500 championship rings? Dylan wants to know that? Yeah. I Dylan. Yeah, I just <laughs> put, it, I put them in a safe. So I'm not a ring. You don't bring them out and no, stuff? No, I'm not a ring wearer. Uh, but I, I do wear uh, my Kalo 
uh, wedding ring. <laughs> when Kalo has a, a has a fitting for the Daytona 500 ring, well, yeah, he'll wear well, it. There you go. Until they right, so a casual that, ring. Until yeah, they have so a color <laughs> option for Daytona 500 <laughs> rings, he ain't gonna wear it. I just don't want to. It's a big old ring. I yeah. don't. You know. All right. So the it's they're a little big and obnoxious. I'm not. You know. They're huge. Yeah. You're, you're 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 giving it. You're not a bling guy. It's yeah. not practical. Yeah. It's not yeah. something you'd wear. Yeah. You're sitting here in a t-shirt. You're not sitting here like, you know, in a, a I would zoot probably suit. only wear it if we had, like, us, if they invited me to to a function where there were other Daytona 500 winners there, I'd wear it. All right, well. Uh, would you wear both, like, one? How would you wear them? Well, what, I don't what, know. They'd clunk together probably. I know, but what finger would you put them on? I'd, I'd go opposite hands. Okay. So they don't would clunk you go together. opposite hands, Mike? You've got two. Yeah, I, of course you no, would. You would? Of course you would, you yeah. wouldn't do like Unless I'm in a fight. You wouldn't have one. <laughs> if I'm going to fight, I'm putting it all on one hand. Well, that gives you good, okay. you know, balance in your left jab I was and your right. Genuinely, con- so you wouldn't. <laughs> I'm generally saying every other finger. No, no, no. Nope. Are you going to walk around with you your hand? It is a like bad a, head. It's not like you're like going like to have it on your and your middle finger. No. I'm trying to be serious. I'm, I'm being serious. I'm telling you, I would put it on on two different hands. Okay. Then when would you clap, it'll be like cling, cling, cling. They'd hear you when they clap, so you better clap. All right, uh, Daryl43, this is something that I want to know, too, because I heard a good pregnancy story coming out of the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Okay, and he wants to know any good pregnancy stories to update us on. (laughs) Are you talking about the Fallon? Yeah, Yeah, dude, because you did a similar thing to my wife and scared the piss out of her. Your wife and the baby. Uh, no, the baby was fine, okay. but yeah. So this is hilarious. This story. <laughs> yeah, if I, hear right. I got more questions about we that were, incident than I did the Fallon <laughs> incident. Just so we you know, were in the uh, we were in the NBC suite uh, watching the game. Everything's great. Hanging out with Bodie Miller and his wife. Super nice folks, and they're expecting. And Amy's six months pregnant. Well, Jimmy Fallon come in there and he sat down uh, for a quarter and watched the game with the. And he must know the family really well. Then then in NBC folks and. So we're sitting there watching the game, and he's getting ready to leave. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, he's got to go to, I guess, do his show back in New York. And on his way, he was kind of walking out, and uh, one of the one of the ladies in there said, would you like to say hello to him before he leaves? I said, of course, yeah. So he comes over and uh, said, hey, how you doing? He goes, oh, man, so good to see you. I said, man, you know, I'm thinking to myself, I don't know. I was like, you know, what are you going to do if you meet Jimmy Fallon? This could have been anybody, but it was Jimmy Fallon. And I'm thinking, Jimmy, Amy's pregnant. Will you bless our baby? <laughs> Wait, you asked him to bless? Yeah. I didn't hear about this I, part. I, I, what, is he a is priest? That? Yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. So he leaned down and he said, hey, <laughs> you are at the Super Bowl. I can't wait to meet you. <laughs> I thought that was, must have been an inside joke or something. Yeah. So you just asked him to bless the baby. <laughs> Do you think he thought that might have been a weird question? Yeah. <laughs> but but it's Jimmy care. Fallon. He lives in a weird mind, so... I'll never meet him again. I'll never see him again. Right. You're in it. You work NBC. for the same company now. You'll see him. Well, all right. Whatever. <laughs> I, he blessed the baby. She's going to be awesome. Oh. I was. I want to know how Amy's reaction was so, to it. Right. That's the thing. So this is how this happens. If She's ever, like my husband. She's so I, weird. All right, all right, all right. You know, <laughs> if and this is okay because there's a lot of people listening that haven't never had kids before or they haven't had kids in a long time. But when your wife's pregnant and you're standing there, and we literally do this all day long. We're like, hey, uh, she's at her first concert today. Oh, does she think she knows she's at the Super Bowl? Can't wait yeah. to tell her she went to the Super Bowl. You know, all day long <laughs> you're doing this stuff. You're like, man, I, I, she has no idea all these cool places she's at and the things she's doing. And so I thought, all right, Jimmy Fallon's here. Never probably going to see this guy again. I'm definitely going to give him blessed my baby. And that just was what came to my mind. <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, I'm that's that's probably one of the best <laughs> stories I've heard in a while. Because you did that on at your goodbye party. My wife and I are at the you know the the um, retirement party yes. at Whiskey River, and we come up there. A bunch of us probably had a few too many beverages, and we're like, "Say say good night to you." And you came in and you like swooped in and you you grabbed my wife's belly like, and you're like, "Hey, like this," and it's hilarious. Some <laughs> women, some women are just like, "All right," eighty percent of women are like. Wow! What are you doing, touching my belly? And yeah. I was the one watching it. And I, if I had a drink in my mouth, I would have spit it across the room because I was yeah. laughing so hard. Just at my wife's reaction, I love it. At my own expense, or whatever, I, whatever, whatever this has done to my <laughs> reputation, my it'll be great. It'll be a great story to tell my daughter. One I think day. we need to teach exactly. you the ethics around being around pregnant people. No, you do what you do. You do you. <laughs> yeah. You know, 
Let the let the wives. My th- wife worry thought about it was it. fine. Yeah, she thought it was Did funny. She? Well, she would tell you if she didn't. She exactly, did. she would. All right, GDB eighty eight. <laughs> I love this. This is the best question of the day, and I should have saved it last, but it's so darn I cool. I promise, I, I had it. not had one drink that day. Not that Jimmy Fallon thinks so, though. No, I, mean, I guarantee you, he not did. the retirement party, but the Jimmy, the Super yeah. Bowl. No, yeah, that was so you working, man. No, I mean, he I was, actually wasn't. Why, why didn't you have a drink at the Super Bowl? I don't know. Why do I got a drink all the time? I mean, it's a Super Bowl. I just, it just feels like you kind of at least have a beer. I don't know. You like beer. I mean, I'm with I mean, my pregnant wife. She can't drink. I, I've seen you drink beer around it's your pregnant gentlemanly. wife before. Where? Retirement party. There you go. <laughs> all right. Keep all right, going. Judy B. I feel like I'm standing at the Golden Corral. Seems like Dale Jr. is on everything. So what has been the most enjoyable <laughs> – I just love that. She references Golden Crowl. I'm like, I'm going to pick that question. Uh, what's the most enjoyable activity in your transition away from full-time racing? Sitting around in your underwear doesn't count. Jeez. Thank, thanks for ruling that and one she, out. She, she made yeah. that clear. So oh, she did. She did, not me. What's my funnest activity? What's, what's the most fun activity you've done in that transition? Golly. Um, there's so many. We've had so much fun. You got a couple? I know this one. Okay. Yeah, during the holidays – he FaceTimes me about this new thing that he's discovered because of Jimmy Johnson. And it is called skiing. Yeah. Oh, boy. And, 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 and now he's like, he says to me, he goes, do you think that Sam Flood will let us go skiing in South Korea? And I was like, no, you ain't going to let you go skiing in South Korea. He's like, why not? And I'm like, because it's the freaking Olympics. That's why. It's for <laughs> other people to ski at, not us, not the workers. And then 30 minutes later, he FaceTimes me back and he goes, we've got like, Two or three ski trips, and Sam's going with us, Heck all yeah. booked. And so, like, he was so excited, and I have now since picked up skiing. I would say that has to be number one, right? Yeah. I would say skiing definitely is uh, probably the top. Jimmy Fallon blessing the ba- baby was oh, geez. probably number two. I mean, that is pretty cool. That is a Golden Corral-esque thing he did. <laughs> he did bless. He Dark, also the, the chocolate fountain of he questions. Also, <laughs> he also blessed Bodie Miller's wife's ba- baby. Man, he's, he needs a job as like a pastor or something. After hours, pastor he was like, I, well, I have to, you know. Bodies. Gotta do he can thank you for that profession. Well, don't bring it up around Mike Davis ever again. <laughs> he thinks it's a terrible idea. <laughs> All right, moving on. We did uh, it. Angela uh, wants to know, uh, what's this is actually a pretty cool question. What song would you choose to represent your career? My gosh. Have you ever thought of that? Mm-mm. It's kind of like a movie, man. What would, you, yeah. what would the song be to be like the, the signature Dale Jr. song? I Got a Name was a good one. I Got a Name. Yeah. Okay, who's that, who's that by? Jim Croce. 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 Jim Croce? Croce. I never really did understand how to pronounce his last name. What's the, what's the song about? Like, you know what I mean? His name. He has a name. <laughs> and it's like his father's. <laughs> Have you ever watched uh, Last American Hero? Oh, yeah. It's in that movie. Oh, it is? Yes. No way. It's okay. playing at the very yeah. beginning as he's driving up to yeah, his yeah. house. Okay. I didn't realize that. Like All right. That would be a like good one. The, like, the pine tree, like the pine trees winding the winding road. I know it now. Tongue twister. Thank God Jim Croce sings it. <laughs> say, why don't you try to say that? It's really harder than I thought. Say it. Like the pine trees winding the windy road. I don't want to. <laughs> Lining the windy road. See, he can't even do it. Like, take three. <laughs> like the pine trees. All right. Uh, for, free, for, for your sake, let's go to the last question uh, so you don't screw it up a fourth time, man. Adam88, we got to give him a shout-out, man. Uh, how come you didn't post a picture of that buck that you got uh, in deer season? I don't oh. post a, I try not to post a whole lot about hunting on social media just out of uh, appreciation for some people's opinions about it. Oh, you catch a yeah. lot of crap. I, I wow, mean, I, okay. I don't mind saying, hey, I'm going hunting. Hey, I have hunt. You know, we hunt together. I do this. I don't mind talking about it and sharing that I enjoy it. But, uh, you know, just a lot of people uh, have different opinions and strong opinions about um, hunting animals and so forth. So there's a line in the sand that I'm not willing to cross when it comes to sharing on social media with that, with that exact, you know, that, that particular hobby. All right, so we've got a new segment for the show this week and for every week after this, and I think this is one I'm going to really, really like. It's called, Did You See That? Did you see that? Did you see it? And uh, basically, it's going to be crazy cool on Twitter or Instagram. Anything weird on Twitter, anything you, you know that stood out to us. What you got? There was an argument uh, that Jeff Gluck got himself in the middle <laughs> of. <laughs> Talking about sim racing, and basically we're going to talk specifically. The I can I, talk two hours on this, man. Specifically the iRacing format. <clears throat> so I was a beta tester for iRacing when it started in 2002-ish and worked with them for f- two years, steadily developing the product, and I raced on there religiously 
hours and hours and chunks and chunks of time up until around 2010, 2011, 2012 maybe. Anyways, uh, so I've been a part of that service for a really, really long time, and, and I still get in there every once in a while just to see where they are as a product and, and see what they what new things they have. And um, anyways, Jeff Gluck got in the middle of a conversation with people about whether the iRacing platform is a legitimate stepping stone or proving ground for racing. And before you guys get going, I know you both are very uh, – you know, opinionated about this as well, which it should be, because it's a great conversation. Um, my feeling has always been that it is a proving ground for talent. They can rank the best drivers on iRacing. And if you went and got the top 50 guys, would they all transfer to success in a late model stock car? No, absolutely not. And we've tried it. I've tried it. It hasn't worked. But I've done that with, uh, I've taken guys out of dirt cars and they haven't transferred into late model cars. They just don't, you know, it just doesn't work. Dirt to asphalt. That doesn't always work. And there have been guys that have came out of iRacing with little to no real world experience and became race car drivers at many different levels. Josh Berry is one that works for us. He ran a very short period of time in Le uh, Legends cars against two or three cars at a time in a race. No real genuine experience. And I never watched any of his Legends car races. I picked him to drive our cars because of what I experienced working with him on iRacing. I'm not saying that if, oh man, if you go watch a guy and he just runs a fast lap, he's good. When you go on iRacing and you race a guy for an entire season, an entire year of iRacing, you run around him enough to watch him make decisions. And you run around him enough to see the uh, the way he approaches a race and the way he approaches a pass and the way he approaches every every problem and how he consistently does things. His consistent choices behind the wheel of a car. That stuff is what translates into the real world. So I feel like that, and I hope, with esports becoming more and more popular, I hope that one day they guys are uh, consistently being plucked out of the iRacing platform and given opportunities in low-level racing. And low-level being late-model stock cars. Not Xfinity Series. We're not pulling... I'm not... I would never pull a guy out of a out of a simulation like iRacing and expect him to go race at Daytona in a truck. That ain't happening. I don't care how many truck races at Daytona he's won online. I'm not going to put him... That's craziness. But could you take a guy with no real-world experience from iRacing and, and get him in a late-model and win? I think so. I've seen it happen. I just think Gluck got kind of sandwiched there. You know, he uh, did. He, he got, got it. He, he got he got beat up a little bit on that. You know, because I mean, I look at it. You know, iRacing is an incredible tool, too. And yeah. You guys use it as a tool. Yeah. You know, not just fun. It's not just video games. Yeah. But there is nothing, nothing that can replace what you feel in your butt in a seat, what you feel with the tires in the ground, what you well, feel in stuff. your nerves, what you feel in your gut. Just because you're a good eye racer doesn't mean you're going to be a great racer. Nope. So, and I think that's the thing where, you know, there's I, a variable there. People get mad. Uh, people in the eye racing world, it's a community. Yes. So uh, when Je when when Gluck says it's a video game, see, it's not. All right, it's not like a a video game you go buy off the shelf. People have to pay money to subscribe to this monthly and it's a community and they practice he knows that no he doesn't yes he does he doesn't he doesn't know that it's a community and it's an association like nascar is a family it's not call of duty over here with everybody firing guns and chasing after each other these are guys really honing their skills and trying to become better sim racers the setups online for sim racing are intricate like there are technical this isn't like a plug-and-play, hop on and, and just go over there. It's not Bill Elliott's uh, NASCAR Challenge wearing yeah, out your left not thumb tapping. Play, it's not Xbox and PlayStation. <laughs> and I think that his wordage, anyways, well, and his tweets made him appear totally uneducated. The, you guys have complete. Y'all have not even hit the point that started this whole conversation. Okay. The very thing that started this conversation, the point that got this whole thing started was Scott Speed the Deadspin yes. wrote an article yes. about Scott that. Speed yeah. being uh, banned from iRacing for wrecking people on purpose. And Jeff Gluck made a comment saying, 
why would Deadspin write an article about this? It's not real racing. It it's not real racing, and you know exactly what I mean sure. when he says that. And he's I right. Do. He's right. Because it's freaking hilarious. <laughs> okay, so maybe then it's a comedic <laughs> bit. But they didn't write it like it was a comedic bit. They didn't? No. It, I mean, unless Deadspin's a comedy central now. I've seen them De- write Deadspin. articles. Unless it's them. satire. So, yeah. have, unless it's satire, but yeah. that's not what they were. So, <laughs> I've seen Deadspin so, so, write articles So like in that. doing this, the response to Jeff Gluck's <laughs> point on that, which he's not wrong, was, no, it's real racing. And then, he, of course, he's got to be like, but it's not. Oh yes, it technically is. it's not. How, how do you how do you justify William Byron? And he goes because it's not the same. And people were literally making the argument that it was the same, and William Byron was the example. And that's not true. It's not true. Just because William Byron or Josh Berry or Scott Speed or anybody happen to race cars, and they are in eye racing, to me it's, it's no different. It, it, it's not the same. And that's it, his only point. Yeah, to me it is real racing in a virtual world. It's real racing. To me it is. Sure, the same way that, uh, you know, me and a buddy used to see who could complete Mario Brothers faster. See, that's a video game. <laughs> that's a video game. It is totally different. Real, no, no, I agree. iRacing is real racing. I agree that it does not always transfer. I mean, that's the argument. That's the variable like right there. Like, they have a season, a championship. They crown a champion. There's thousands and thousands of dollars on you the gotta line. you got to be good There's to do that. There's sponsorship. There's crew chiefs and spotters that's the part that i think is nuts man. it is it's stupid do you know there's I people mean, that announce the races are, somebody okay, asked let me, me ask announce you one, one time if, like, you're, how? if you're racing if you're racing for thousands of dollars in in an event uh do you feel like you want to be sitting there you know screwing around with the keys trying to set whether you want to take two tires or not and change the air <laughs> pressure in the right rear tire a couple tents and decide whether you want to sit there and do your own fuel mileage and uh short pit and take less fuel uh, do you want to be doing all this stuff while you're trying to drive at the same time under green flag conditions? I mean, no, you need a crew chief. You got to have a crew chief. Okay, but listen, you know my example on this, and I'll end on this: is that do you remember years ago when you and I were at Michigan and we went to I believe Road America to watch this guy that was an iRacing champion, yes. and he went over. Uh, to, we were going to go. It was like a Volkswagen series yes. or something like that, and there was probably 30, 35 cars in the thing. And do you remember where he finished? Deer in the back. Butt neck at last. That's where he finished. <laughs> so that's your one and done. Well, of just like you can't to see. Hey, just like you, you can't judge. Even, he didn't even try. He didn't well, even I'm try glad to you weren't around. I'm glad you weren't around to dis disallow the uh, the opportunity for William Byron, Josh <laughs> Berry, or anybody Our else. Racing never came up in the William Byron hire. I just want to say. It never did. If you're going to say because of that, nobody can come out of that experience. It's not, no, that's not what I'm saying. Not said, what I'm saying. Well, what are you saying? <laughs> no, I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm saying it has nothing to do with iRacing. It does. No, it doesn't. Are you crazy? It has nothing to do with iRacing. It has it, everything it, to do with iRacing. We never talked about iRacing when we hired William Byron. We didn't have to. But that's how he got to where he is. I think William Byron, Byron's an anomaly anyway. You, 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 you know, the guy steps in a race car first time in his life, and within the first year he's winning Lens cars true. races. I, he, he is, he dude, is you a, can't judge anything by that dude. So has anybody ever been hired based off their iRacing in, in a real race car? Oh, yeah. I mean, Josh Berry. You hired him based off iRacing alone. Solely. Didn't you? Didn't TJ I've never Majors, seen him drive anything. Didn't you, uh, didn't you and TJ I'm hook sorry. up that way? Me and TJ hooked yeah. up that way. No, that's where you met. Yeah. Yeah, but I offered him to drive the late model and based the stock. Based off yeah. how he was on simulation. Yeah. And look where he is today. <laughs> well, he was not driving. A successful he career. No, he didn't. He won a lot of races in our late model. He He's hosted a podcast. I basically am a champion in iRacing. <laughs> look where I am. He's claimed to fame. Is he, he actually beat Denny Hamlin in a big late model race. At, you don't even remember how good TJ was. He was a great race car driver. Well, hold, hold on. Let's just say good. He was a good driver. He throw around great. He was, great he was late, a good driver. He was good. He was great at late models. He would have been where he would have been as successful and uh, respected as Josh Berry is today if he had been able to button that mouth. He was. That I agree with. I, my, I respect your opinion. I respect your opinion about it. Yeah. I have mine. I'm. I'm a. I'm. I'm a believer. And if as long as there's a couple of us around, there'll be guys that'll be able to come out of iRacing and have some. Well, success. listen. Hey, everybody, vote up on him. Jeff Gluck's like I'm stepping away from Twitter. <laughs> I'm going to my own little corner, and that was that. All right, it's back. I have brought back the white flag segment, Dale. Okay. All right, I hope you're happy with that. We'll, I didn't ask we'll for find permission. Out. I'll, like I'll let you know the, at the end of the segment. The, the, the long-time listeners of uh, the Dale Jr. Download know all about the white flag segment. This week's white flag is brought to you by Valvoline Lubricant. 
That's because uh, they are the preferred lubricant to the light poles in the city lights and all the things that are important to Philadelphia, the government uh, buildings. <laughs> uh, that, did you see where they were oiling <laughs> yes. up? The, so they, They're oiling the poles, really? They were oiling them up. This week, Dale Jr.'s got some production work to satisfy uh, with Nationwide and Alex Bowman. That is, of course, if Bowman isn't sick. This has been the most rescheduled this is interview the third, ever. This is the third, third scheduling of this interview because he had the flu twice, or he's been sick twice. You just need, you need those masks. Yeah, but that really kind of – yeah, you could, I guess, do an interview with a mask on. We're going to knock it out this time. So All right. Done. Is he better? Have you he's, checked he's on fine. him? He's fine. He's fine. He's ready to go. All right. Lastly, if you liked what you heard, we're going to go back to you and ask you to rate and review us. This is a podcast. We need your rating. Special thanks to Matthew Dillner. First show. Appreciate – I mean, really happy to have you here, Matthew. I'm glad that you had the, the first show on my birthday, too. That, is this that, your birthday? birthday. Daryl Waltrip and, and, and I share a great common bond, and it's definitely not talent. This is Daryl Waltrip's birthday, too. <laughs> Wow, who knew? <laughs> All right, well, listen, thank you. for. I also want to thank Natalie Sather and Dustin Lee on the Dirty Mo Media team. Uh, thanks for the fans who've been waiting for us, and Dale's been eager to start our podcast. And also, we want to thank the Dangerous Summer. Yep, the songs you heard on the podcast today are courtesy of Dangerous Summer and Hopeless Records. Guys, it has been a pleasure. I've been begging Mike to get this thing started. Matthew, I'm glad you're here. We're going to have a lot of fun this year, folks. This is our first of many, many great podcasts in 2018. We'll see you later. Bless the baby. Bless it.